everyone. Welcome back to Today in Tech. I'm Julia Bush. I'm here with Principal Analyst and President at J.Gold Associates, Jack Gold. Today we're talking about what businesses can learn from this mandatory work from home period and how they could apply those lessons to a potential future quarantine period. Stick around. All right, Jack, thank you so much for calling in. It's always great to chat with other people, and I'm really excited about our topic today. I think it's going to be really interesting. Great to be here. Thank you. So, like I mentioned, we're going to be discussing what businesses can learn from this work-from-home period and how they can apply those lessons going forward, both in sort of a, okay, now perhaps upwards of 10% of our workforce doesn't want to come back to the office, but also in the sense that it's possible that we could have another quarantine period if there's another um, outbreak of the coronavirus, potentially in the fall or into the win next winter. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, the real lesson to be learned from this is that we always we don't always know what our work environment is going to be like. In this case, it was the coronavirus, COVID-19, the pandemic. We could all have had a hurricane and lost power for a week. Uh, there's always something that that's going to happen. And, and frankly, this is not the first time this has happened. We had, you know, SARS, Ebola, lots of awful things that, that happened to people. But businesses have not always been really good at understanding what they need to do when a disaster strikes. How do you disperse your workforce? How do you get people to work from anywhere? How do you get people to be able to securely get information into and out of corporate systems. You know, the mobile revolution of a few years ago, it's obviously continuing, but that kind of changed things in the sense that people got used to working anywhere, anytime, any location, you know, any hour of the day or night. Uh, and they got used to using on a personal level, collaboration tools, whether it was texting or, so Instagram or Skype or, or Twitter or whatever it happened to be, Facebook. And so those kinds of processes were in place. A lot of companies, however, didn't really get onto the, the social collaboration bandwagon uh, early enough. Uh, and many of them were not, uh, are still not really in tune with what's going on in that world. Why that's important is because in the coming years, the majority of workers in many companies are going to be millennials. These are digital natives. These are folks that understand that I want to be working anywhere, anytime, whatever the device, whether it's two o'clock in the morning because I'm awake and, you know, I, I want to get some work done or um, I just got in an airplane. <laughs> We're not doing that today, but we will again sometime and be able to work from wherever we need to do. So, Companies need to learn the lesson of flexibility. They need to learn a lesson of <clears throat> user empowerment. And very importantly, they need to learn the lesson of the user experience. What I uh, consider user experience is being able to get my job done on a system, on your systems, on the corporate systems, on IT systems, from anywhere, anytime, any location, any device, and do it effectively, do it efficiently. Not take three hours to, to, on a phone call with IT to figure out how I'm gonna get connected, not to uh, not be able to log into my, I don't know, SAP, Salesforce, whatever account, because you don't have the remote capabilities 
uh, enabled in your organization, that's unacceptable. And and I think that's one of the key takeaways from this from this disaster that we're going through right now. Very troubling times, obviously. Aside from the fact that people are getting sick, and that's that's a horrible thing. But we really need to think about what does the corporation, what does being able to interact with corporate systems mean in a world where people are dispersed? Absolutely. And I think, like you mentioned, a lot of this goes beyond the obvious collaborate, collaboration tools that many of us, although of course not all of us, have been relying on in our you know day-to-day work lives, and now we're perhaps using it a lot more. I mean, I know I'm using Slack all the time, Zoom all the time, Teams. Right. I'm using that all the time. I was using it a fair amount in the office too, but it wasn't something crazy difficult to get used to. But during this period, a lot of obviously businesses are going to learn a lot. IT teams are going to learn a lot. If we have a potential lull period, what sort of systems should IT teams and executives put into place in their business to make sure that if potentially when this happens again, we're ready? So there are a few things that, that companies need to do today. First of all, uh, most companies really struggled to enable their remote workforce, you know, work from home. Uh, they had to react. So many of them were using Band-Aids and duct tape to make it work rather than a real strategy, right? So the first thing I would suggest is companies need to think about what's the long-term strategy? What do I need to put in place now, not just for allowing Jack and Juliet to work from home today, well, what I need to put in place so that when the next thing comes along and something will come along, hopefully not for a very long time, but some disaster will strike again, I'll be ready to do it. So simple thing like, do I have enough Zoom licenses for everyone or, or, or Cisco WebEx licenses or whatever the collaboration tool, Microsoft Teams that you wanna use? Many companies didn't. They had to struggle uh, to get those kinds of capabilities in place. What kind of connectivity do I offer people? Do I have the ability to get people up and running, not only just up and running, but up and running productively? Meaning that, you know, maybe I've got a DSL connection. Boy, it's really hard to stream video over a DSL connection. How do I get people more enabled, better network capability? 5G is going to help that, but 5G really isn't here yet. You know, if, if we're two years from now, 5G would be a big boon to all of what we're doing. But folks, it's going to be another year or two before it really gets out there and, and, and available everywhere. Security. A lot of companies struggled with security, still struggle with security. But, but in a work from home environment where I'm trying to access stuff at the cor- behind the f- corporate firewall. And that, by the way, I may be doing it on my own personal PC that my kids use to play games on. How do I assure that what I'm allowing Jack to do is secure and not compromising personal information or not compromising corporate data or not bringing in a virus uh, or malware into the organization. All of those are real concerns. So that's where I think I would focus. If, if you're an IT organization and we have a lull for hopefully years, but at least for a few months, think about how you're going to make all of that stuff work better, more seamlessly for your organization and also from the end for the end user again it's going to be all about user experience you've got to get people you've got to give them the tools to remain productive no matter where they are yeah that makes sense i wonder how much of this could 
be helped. I mean, you mentioned people that are potentially using personal devices. That's obviously a huge security risk. How much organizations will be able to roll out, you know, work-only devices. I know, I mean, I personally have a work-only laptop. It's really helpful to have that loaded with, you know, my VPN and any um, security systems and tools that the IT team has put in place. And then on my personal laptop, I obviously still worry about security, but it's not like I'm accessing sensitive information on it, right? But I think it would be interesting to see how IT teams are able to prioritize this. I mean, in a perfect world, it's obviously great to have VPN licenses for everyone, collaboration licenses for everyone, and everyone has a work laptop, but is that really realistic? Well, it, it depends on, on your organization, right? So, so we can't put all companies into the same basket, right? Um, depends on the industry you're in. If you're a, a bank, financial industry, if you're Wall Street, you have perhaps different uh, requirements, certainly different regulations. Um, healthcare is another one than you would say uh, a school or um, manufacturing company <clears throat> or an accounting office perhaps or, or, or a lawyer's office, although they're pretty stringent as well. So you have to look at what industry you're in and, and look at the regulations involved, number one. Number two is it's a risk reward thing, right? So there is no such thing as perfect security. There is no such thing as locking everything down. If you lock down everything so much, I can't get my job done, right? Then you're secure, but, but you're going out of business. It doesn't help you any. So there's the, that risk re reward. What I tell uh, uh, companies that, that I consult with is look at the uh, potential of having a, a data breach, because you're gonna have one, every company, that, that I know of. I know of no companies that, that have not had a data breach, right? Uh, but the question becomes what kind of data gets breached and how quickly you can discover that data breach. The average data breach goes on for four to six months before a company actually knows that something's been breached. That's not unusual. In fact, in some companies, it can be up to a year. So you have to put those kind of programs in place as well to understand what um, what kind of data is available to end users on a remote access environment. And some you want to lock down, and much of it you want to lock down from certain users. Only certain users with a certain profile can get into that data. As far as BYOD goes, and BYOD has been a, a major subject now for the last three, four, five years, right? Uh, mostly around phones, but increasingly it was around PCs and laptops and, and even desktop PCs as well. Most companies that are in highly regulated industries should provide their users with a corporate sponsored device, corporate purchase device, corporate lockdown device, and use it for corporate needs. In less regulated industries for occasional use, um, I've seen this in education, for instance, they allow teachers to work from their own PC because they're not as fearful that you're going to give away uh, information that is critical to the organization. You still need to have a VPN. Maybe you do something like uh, you know, Citrix or VMware VDI that uh, only allows or doesn't allow any information on the device itself, only allows a view into the corporate server. Uh, that's another option, but you need to assess, you know, again, risk versus reward. What's the cost 
what's the availability, what does the user actually need to do, and frankly, what can you afford? Small businesses are very different than large enterprises. Many small businesses, even in financial industries or, or you know, lawyers' offices or, or, or doctors, aren't going to be able to go out and afford to spend, I'm making up an example, you know, $5 million with Cisco to lock down their network. Yeah, that's a great point. And you also make a great point, and I've actually discussed this um, before on our channel with um, CSO writer J.M. Porup. We discussed, you know, when the choice is between going out of business or employing these um, security tools, the obvious choice is not even a choice, is to you have to stay in business. So striking that balance, I can imagine, will be difficult, but hopefully businesses have an idea of what they can and need to prioritize. And speaking of that, I think it's interesting, you mentioned this a bit at the beginning, as looking at this and the bounce back from the coronavirus um, for businesses as sort of a disaster recovery plan. It's a much, much different disaster than you know a natural disaster, a hurricane, a tornado, an earthquake, but it's still very much a disaster and there's going to need to be some sort of plan to recover from this. So how can businesses go about formatting that disaster recovery plan and how is this going to be different than, like I said, a natural disaster? You know, it's honestly, it's not all that different than natural disaster. The, the difference here is, you know, you're, 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 you're not losing a physical presence. The, a tornado is not coming through your building and, and knocking out your servers. Uh, you're not losing power. Most people still have power. So in that sense, it's a little bit different. But from a perspective of, of disaster recovery, what you want to do is assure that you can conduct your business or at least most of your business. And so building a plan that says, no matter what happens, here's what I can provide. Okay, if power goes out, I can switch my server from Boston to Chicago. Or you know, I can be on Azure, Microsoft Azure or, or Google Cloud or, or AWS, Amazon AWS <clears throat> and switch that way. That at least keeps my data online. So that's, that's one aspect of it. Yeah, the bigger aspect of it is though, if my users can't get to me for a day, a week, a month, what do I need to do to assure that they can get their jobs done? That's the harder part. Look, I, I think there's another piece to this that, that people perhaps haven't been discussing quite enough. And that is that with all of these people working from home, for so long, I mean, we're talking about weeks and potentially months, companies are gonna figure out that, you know, maybe I don't need as much real estate. Maybe I can let Jack and Juliet work from home at least a couple of times a week or, or, or maybe even longer. I, my estimate is that about 35%, uh, we're gonna see about 35% more work at home than we saw before the pandemic. On, on, a, on a, I was gonna say permanent basis, that might not be fair. People still wanna go and meet with other people person to person but now they'll do it irregularly rather than going to the office every day. That will have a major impact. That'll have a major impact on the bandwidth that you need to provide to people. Real estate, we already talked about. Security, uh, the devices that they employ. And you also wanna make sure that people have a place to work. Um, most people don't have a problem with that. They'll, they'll find somewhere at home to do the work. But you know, if they've got three, toddlers running around the house or four dogs or, or, or geese or who knows what making noise in the background, that, that's problematic. So 
those are the kinds of things from a disaster recovery perspective that people need to look at. You need to put together a plan that includes IT, obviously, uh, but uh, and this is a strategic plan for the company, but also includes all of the line of businesses because those are the folks who know what they need to get done. Security people, legal, HR, and you know whoever else, I don't know, support, um, help desk, what, what, although that's part of IT, I suppose. But they all have to have a component of this disaster recovery plan. And I would also suggest that just like people stockpile emergency supplies in, in, in hurricane country where they have extra water, extra food, extra whatever, that you designate people as people that you can call up immediately if there is a disaster and you need to get uh, something done very quickly. Those are folks that are designated to be the disaster recovery people, the managers, the implementers, the doers, etc. Yeah, it seems like we've outlined a pretty good example of what you know a great successful plan would be, and who and what sort of company really stands to. I mean, when is perhaps too positive of a word, but I mean, merely survive this sort of pandemic. And I think it'd be interesting to look at you know who can be successful and who will be less successful after this all hopefully ends soon. And I think not only just the types of companies, but also the types of tools. I mean, you made a great point about 5G. I know we talk about it all the time at our channel um, about 5G and how, you know, it's been hyped up for so long, but I have to imagine that this has really, really slowed 5G rollout. I mean, beyond, it's not just flipping the switch. You need to make sure that there's people actually installing that physical infrastructure. Absolutely. And look, if you can't get people to come to work, they can't do installs. 5G uh, installing towers is a little better because, you know, they're people outside. They're usually not working in teams of hundreds. They're, you know, sort of independent. But still, it, it's going to be, it, it's, it's a major, major impact. Um, Will it slow 5G rollout for years? No, but it, it probably will cause a few months worth of delay in 5G. Um, I, I don't think the impact will be major. Um, I think that you'll see um, that the, the places, the locations that were kind of down the list of 5G uh, that weren't gonna be installed right away will probably um, kind of taper out a little longer than they would otherwise. Uh, the main cities will still get 5G right now, uh, but it, it'll it'll probably be a somewhat of, del of a delay. But I think the demand will still be there. As far as, as companies that will be successful, it's the companies that plan ahead, just like the rest of us. You know, think about this as a retirement plan. When you get to be 60 and you haven't saved anything <laughs> and that retirement looms, you know, you're going to be eating dog and cat food because you've got nothing saved. Uh, companies kind of need to make the same investment and, and say, look, this is a, an insurance policy. This is the way I'm going to survive in an era where you know stuff happens. You just can't avoid it. And, and those are the kinds of companies I think that will, uh, the, the forward looking companies, the, the ones that survive. Now, I wanna make one other point and that is around SMB. A lot of smaller companies rely on third party IT staff. You know whether it's Geek Squad or you know your local IT group or whatever. For SMBs, what I suggest is that you make sure that those folks that support you, your IT support group, 
have a plan that helps you get through any looming disasters coming. Most small businesses don't have that right now. And I think that's absolutely critical that you, that you need somebody uh, that you can rely on in a disaster. And in fact, I could see that as a whole new um, aspect of these smaller service companies offering you know, disaster recovery to SMBs. Yeah, that's a great point. Before I let you go, Jack, I do want to just touch on one more, frankly, completely critical um, component of any sort of disaster recovery, but especially this pandemic, which, of course, affects physical people not being into work. Like you said, it's not affecting, you know, a tornado didn't come through and destroy your data center is supply chains. I would have to imagine it's going to take a while to get for supply chains to get their footing and get up and running as they were before, because people haven't been able to work on them for a long time. Absolutely. And and that's, I think, a part that, that, that people miss. It, it, depending on where in the supply chain and what business you're in, it, it will vary. But here's the example I, I would use. Let's say you're a bakery and you need to bake bread. That's all well and good. But in, so now you're ready to open. Everyone's ready to open. And you call your flour and yeast supplier and say, I need flour and yeast. And they say, well, that's great. But the supplier that supplies me with flour just started work yesterday and they don't have any flour to deliver to me yet. So as soon as they deliver it to me, the distributor, I will deliver it to you, the baker, who then can bake the bread and get it to us, the consumer. Now, is that a, a month long process? Probably not, it's probably days, but let's look at phones and PCs. They're, they haven't been affected as much because they're very automated. They're very automated processes. There's very few people in factories anymore, um, despite what people think. It's all robotics and stuff. Um, you know, chips, Intel says they're at 90% capacity. They've been barely affected. So do the other guys. Uh, the phone makers were shut down for a while, but they're making phones again. So they're coming online. Um, so it will very much depend on what industry you're in. But I mean, what if you're a car manufacturer and you're, you're waiting for, I don't know, wheels or transmissions from a supplier? It's all going to take some time. So even when we start, this is not going to be an instant on switch. The supply chain is going to take the supply chain takes time to supply the chain and it's going to take a little while for everyone to get what they need to get back in business. Right. So it seems like your plan shouldn't be just from, you know, day one when it's okay to go back to work. It needs to be a lot more forward thinking than that. It needs to be the considering, okay, I can be back in the office this day and I can expect in this amount of days or weeks that, like you said, you know, the, my flour distributor is getting the flour from the farmers or from the mill. It really is, it's, you can't just go based off of, you know, the day that we all go back to work, which I think perhaps a lot of people have been focusing on. I mean, I know I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I, no, that, that, that's, that actually is true. It, there's going to be a lag when everyone goes back to work. People don't realize how complicated supply chains can be. We just assume that everything's there, and, and, and often that's not the case, even in big companies. So assume that for some period of time, depending on what industry you're in, even after you go back to work, there's going to be a lot of inefficiency, and it's going to have to ramp up. Yeah, it's a great point. Well, thank you, Jack, so much for calling in and chatting with us about pandemic disaster recovery. Really insightful, and also some really great advice for um, all IT teams out there. So thanks again so much for calling in. My pleasure. Thanks for having me and be safe.
You too. And thank you all so much for watching this episode of Today in Tech. If you liked this video, be sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel. If you have any questions or comments about any sort of disaster recovery plan, please leave a comment below. I'd be happy to get back to you or shoot a message over to Jack, who will let me know what the correct answer is to your question. Thanks again for watching, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.